I felt like I was watching a screensaver. <laughs> yeah, be- like beautiful. Yeah, like like that's a really good shot of Glacier National Park. And 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 there is a Columbine, like in the dawn light. And, and utterly devoid right. of emotion. It yeah. is just it is just the thing. There's this wacky little store right down the street from me called If It's Not If It's Books It's Not Hoarding. Mm. I, which, I agree know. with that statement. Yeah. And as I was driving past, they they seem to have a really maybe they're sort of the um Christopher's Cakes mm. kind of analog in my neighborhood because I'm like there is no way that that place stays in business. Yeah. And yet every time I drive by there is a great vintage movie poster in a new one in the window. And the one that was up there um, uh, that I saw the other day that instantly made me think of you was this great Outlaw Josie Wales uh, poster yeah. with like Eastwood like like screaming yeah. with like the six shooter held aloft. I know like I, just the face. I know that exact poster because one of my college dorm mates had it right and he's got his mouth open and then the yeah the, yep. like the one of the gun he i think he's holding two guns and one of them's up and the other one's leveled yep. is that does that sound right yeah it's true i was glimpsing it through the window of a driving car yeah. so I, I was able to to ascertain those details it's a great looking poster as i was listening to the last time we talked about uh, christopher's cakes uh in our tampopo episode um there is this hilarious moment where we're talking about um, the derivation of the name Christopher, mm. and um, and we were I was saying it's bearer of Christ, and this is a very understandable error to make, and I didn't even pick up it on the time, but you said, oh, then does Toffer mean bearer? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure it does, <laughs> forgetting that Christ we're has talking a tea. about Christ, <laughs> and so bearer is probably something more like offer, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, we neglected the T in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, like I see myself in the Son of God all the time. So I'm not surprised yeah. that you did too. Well, we all, yeah, and we all have Buddha nature too. Um, and and <laughs> that, what I, it does bring up a memory of one, one time many, many years ago when you and I were climbing with our friends Justin and Elsa. And I think that, like, you met us there at the rock face. And I remember mm-hmm. Elsa spotted you and shouted out, There's a Topher! <laughs> Which was very charming. That's, that sounds accurate. Yeah. That sounds like Elsa. Yeah. <laughs> it, sounds, it also sounds like me sort of showing up not at the beginning. Yeah, well, you had other business to attend to. Sure, yeah. 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 That seems to be the story of my life. There's... I have other business. <laughs> <laughs> there is also one of, you know... The trip that hooked me on rock climbing, I believe, was 2001 or 2002 at Otter Cliffs. Mm -hmm. And one of my memories was climbing until the absolute dusk at like 830 in the evening because we'd always get there after the guide service. And then you pulling up slightly earlier than everybody. And by the time the rest of us pulled up, you had lentils and beans prepared on a like whisper light in the like parking lot. And we ate it on the tailgate. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, this is the life. This is I as, do remember this that. This is I, as good as it gets right here. <laughs> shall we uh shall we recap our 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 consider our the evening's menu? 
Yeah, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, we're talking about uh, Sandra Nettlebeck's uh, 2001 film, Mostly Martha. Uh, do, did, you, did you know in your research, did you discover the, uh, the American version of this? I, which I yeah. vaguely <laughs> recall, you know, no, no reservations or something like that. Yeah, yeah which looks yeah. terrible. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Aaron Eckhart in the, in the lead roles. Like, what, bo- what could have gone wrong? Both of whom are capable of great acting. Um, but totally. there was just something about the look of it. I, I watched a preview, and it looked to me like it was a shot-for-shot shot remake, which I'm not a big fan of shot-for-shot remakes no that's yeah i mean you get even at the i think in your best your best possible outcome is a dutiful representation with no heart yeah and also in the preview i didn't really see much of the kid either which is Mm. kind of um i mean i you know we're we're getting ahead of ourselves but i think that martha's relationship with lena is the heart of this narrative even though there, there are other important things that happen in um well do you want to start us off yeah, sure. We open with uh, Martha, uh, Marta. Uh, this is a, a German movie uh, talking to her therapist about food. We discover pretty quickly the therapist is a little frustrated with Martha because she is there under compulsion uh, because she's going to be fired from her job uh, at a fancy restaurant in Hamburg called Lido. She is a tempestuous but somewhat repressed chef who struggles to take both compliments from her customers and criticism. Criticism in particular, she has a history of going out into the dining room and berating customers who have complaints, which um, is understandable from an artist's point of view and less understandable from a business person's point of view. We see this for a little bit, and we quickly move on to the chief information about the plot, which is that Martha's sister, who we have not seen yet, is killed in a car accident, leaving Martha as the caretaker of her sister's daughter named Lena. Martha promises to find Lena's father, an Italian named Giuseppe, and that's all we know about him. We really don't know very much about him at all. Martha's kind of erratic. I mean, she's clearly going through a lot of stuff, and her restaurant hires another charismatic chef named Mario to fill an upcoming absence, but also you get the sense to maybe sort of hedge the restaurant's bets in case they need to fire Martha so that Mario could perhaps take over. And he kind of shows up and... um, begins kind of taking over anyway. He's charismatic, he's fun, he likes to listen to music. He is the Dionysus that uh, opposes Martha's, I don't know, Hera? It's not exa- It's definitely not Apollonian. Yeah, maybe more uh, uh, very German uptightness, right? Sense of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, so there's a conflict, there's a little bit of a, they kind of have it out in the kitchen, Martha and Mario, and Mario says, look, I can work wherever I want, uh, I'm not here to steal your job. I, I love your cooking, and I, I want to learn from it, and I want to be a part of it. Um, but if you want me to go, I'll go. Do you want me to go? And he does this very sort of like Latin kind of performative, like, I need you to tell me that you want me to stay. And sh- so she's like, fine, we'll stay. And then, you know, in this part of the film, they're kind of a series of scenes, skits of Martha slowly but surely getting kind of better at caring for Lena. Um, And actually, Mario helps with this. Um, In one of my absolute favorite moments in the movie, he kind of, Lena has not been eating for uh, several days. And 
you know, Martha at nights usually works at night. She's tried a babysitter. She's tried just like leaving her there uh, home alone. And so finally, she sort of in desperation brings her into the kitchen. And most of them are happy to have her there. The other the other cooks um, we're not so sure if the owner thinks it's good for her to be there. Um, but Mario really takes to her and um, uh, does this sort of little lovely thing where he tricks her into eating some pasta uh, by, you know, eating it himself and then handing it off to her and being sort of saying, like, leave some for me. And then she's obviously starving and there's this plate of delicious pasta. And then I also think it helps that Mario is Italian and um, Lena knows that her father is Italian. So she's interested in the Italian culture. So they all start getting along a little bit better. There's this interesting kind of subplot with the neighbor that is kind of perplexing, um, but the neighbor helps a little bit um, and seems like a good dude. Finally, after Martha, Martha's though kind of at her wit's end, she's trying to track down the father. It's really impossible to work the job. She's working and care for Lena, and so Lena's missing school. Bad things are happening. And so finally, at one point, she gets distracted. One of her employees goes into labor she takes the employee to the hospital and completely forgets to pick Lena up from school. Um, she feels really, really bad about it. And as an apology, she basically says, I'll do anything you want. And um, Lena's uh, request is to have Mario come over for dinner and cook. And it's a fun night. Uh, Martha is locked out of the kitchen, which is really, really hard for her. And then later, after the meal is done, the kitchen is in total tatters, which is also hard for her. And she starts to hyperventilate. But they all have a really good time. They play, pick up sticks. And you can tell there's kind of a romantic attraction developing now between um, Martha and Mario. Um, then there's some... I forget exactly what happens, but there's a series of events that leads Lena trying to run away to Italy. I think they do find the father and send a letter. But I think I think I can't remember exactly what it was, but Martha makes some kind of parenting mistake. Lena's angry. They kind of shout at each other. Lena tries to run away. Martha collects her from the police station. And then there's just this remarkable scene where Martha kind of is clearly overcome with worry and love and regret at not being a good surrogate mother. And they have a kind of hugging moment where they bond and things seem like they're on a pretty good footing. And I'll kick it back mm -hmm. to you. And right at that moment, uh, Giuseppe, <clears throat> who appears to be a truck driver who owns a large Italian villa, um, yeah. appears... And, yeah, it's a socialist um, country, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, he yeah, owns the trucking of... business. I don't. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know. Also, a, it's a, a lot of those villas. It's a melodrama. Who cares? I, I feel like you can get a lot of those villas for a song too. A lot of them are a bit run down, you know. But he arrives. He seems to be a really good guy. Yeah. He tells Martha, "Look, if I'd known, like, I didn't know about Lena. Um, if I'd known, we really." we would be meeting under different circumstances. Martha is worried, but Giuseppe seems to put her fears at ease for the moment. And uh, Lena departs with him for Italy. This kind of precipitates 
Martha pushing Mario away, um, asking him to leave. Uh, she's pretty overcome. She returns to the restaurant. There is a wonderful, one of my favorite moments. We get sort of a pan in on Martha, who is clearly depressed, uh, alone at the restaurant. And then the um, the camera begins to pull back as the uh, the kitchen fills with the other people that she works with. And she kind of has a like, well, let's like get back to business moment, even though um, I'm basically like heartbroken and depressed. But she is sort of saved by another cantankerous customer who wants a very rare steak. And this ends up with Martha storming out into the dining room with a raw steak and uh, (laughs) forking it to the table where the customer is seated. She quits and or is fired uh, and asks Mario for help. And they drive to Italy to see if they can reclaim Lena. Apparently, Giuseppe and his wife and their family are okay with that. Weird. Uh, (laughs) Lena returns with Martha and Mario. And in this quick little epilogue, we see Martha and Mario getting married and... They have a party, and they have a party at Giuseppe's Italian villas, maybe? Well, and He's I, there. And I think <laughs> we're meant to understand that they have chosen to live in Italy near to Giuseppe, which is maybe why Giuseppe and his wife are okay with whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're doing joint custody or something it's a little it's i i found it a little bit poorly explained but yes they get married just you know there's no conflict everybody is happy cue the keith jarrett <laughs> yeah so much keith jarrett yeah good lord yeah. it's really good but it it's yeah uh yeah and then that's the end of the movie yep there we go all wrapped up the ever after you know sort of dispensed with you know, what's Martha going to do with her workaholism? What's she going to do well, with her depression? Who cares? The, we also get the <laughs> sense that they're going to open like a restaurant, right? Like, Because mm-hmm. at one point we see Martha and Mario and Lena like kind of going through an old dusty Italian sort of like whatever the Italian equivalent of a public house is, you know, and, and sort of being, like, oh, we could restore this. No problem. And Lena being like, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be as easy as you, you know, and we have the sense that, you know, they're going to open um, mm-hmm. a, a restaurant. Um, it's Europe, you know, like you can just like uh, you could just take collect like social services for two years while you're figuring that out, you know, <laughs> like it'll work out. Yeah, no problem. Free healthcare. Here's your just here's your Italian villa and your you know and your restaurant seed fund. Yeah, yeah. And then once you've got it going, I'm sure there'll be plenty of customers who want to come to this out of the way backwater in Italy. Uh, yeah, I may have had a few uh, problems with the ending. Uh, you might be sensing. Me too. You um you alluded to uh, a few episodes ago the seven stories and also how Rob Harvila says there's actually eight and one of them is Con Air. Which of the seven stories is this? Sadly, it's not Con Air. Um, <laughs> definitely, that would be definitely a not. Bummer, because <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. I think I, I'm pretty sure one of the stories in there is is Boy Meets Girl or Girl Meets Boy. Mm. I would say that this is. I would say that this is girl. This is Girl Meets Boy, mm. and because that's the that's the real important part of the story it's about the getting together of martha and mario and maybe beginning the healing of martha's repression Hmm. um and that's generally the nature of boy meets girl girl meets boy uh because 
there has to be some conflict. The conflict is usually there's something wrong with one or both of the characters that doesn't allow them to be together. And then the change or the epiphany or the twist is one of the characters realizing in a flash of insight that, you know, they need to change so that they can be together with this other person. And they go off to do that. You know, Will Hunting jumps in his car and drives across the country to go see Mini Driver, blah, blah, blah. I would say that I would park this one firmly in girl meets boy territory and the food and the emotional subplot with Lena are not quite cheap tricks intended Hmm. to amp up the emotional impact of the movie. But for me, they are in the ballpark of a cheap trick. Huh? Well, interesting. I, 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 I think I see why you would say all that. I, I think that one. I, compl- I think there's one thing I completely disagree about, which for me, at least the way I emotionally relate to this film, the Martha Lena plot to me is the plot, and the Mario is the subplot, and Mario is sort of the helper because I think mm-hmm. it's a story about Martha, es- essentially a reluctant somebody who is reluctantly made to be the caregiver for a child who then awkwardly assumes that mantle, but over time develops a deep bond and finds a greater purpose in fulfilling that role as caregiver. And and the reason I asked about the seven stories is like, there's a lot of movies when, where that happens. But I wonder Mm -hmm. if this is like a 20th, 21st century, eighth, story you know the the sort of because i was just thinking it's like without doing any researcher research just thinking i came up with about Mm -hmm. a boy kramer versus kramer the karate kid leon the professional news of the world water world big daddy maleficent guardians of the galaxy 2 also the books a Solitary Blue, and The Great Gilly Hopkins, and the whole Punky Brewster series. And, like, these, <laughs> these are powerful stories, and there's something that always tugs at my heartstrings when I see a kind of awkward, often either broken or stunted character mm-hmm. who then has to take care of a child. Those instincts kick in because any fundamentally decent person is going to try to do a good job taking care of a child. There's awkwardness, there's uncomfortability, but then something forms that cannot replace the child's relationship to the lost parent, but perhaps maybe can live alongside it. Maybe can. It doesn't replace it, but becomes something new that is also valued. And I I think that is a good story you know um Mm -hmm. and i to me mario's mario doesn't change throughout so like martha and mario getting together it's great i'm happy for them um and to me though he is also kind of a helper on that quest because he he kind of when martha's really struggling he kind of he gives a helpful little nudge kind of han solo like Mm -hmm. you know sort of like you know knocks knocks uh, uh, Darth Vader aside at the last minute so Luke can do what he needs to do. Like he, you know, he's not the main hero here, but he does, he helps when needed. Um, And, but I just, I just don't know if that's like an ancient story or if this is something maybe relative new, relatively new, like in the age. I mean, there've always been widows, right? There have always been 
step-parents, but maybe kind of in the age of the no-fault divorce. Like, maybe that's why there's been this modern proliferation of these Mm -hmm. kinds of stories, kind of starting with Kramer versus Kramer. And, like, Kramer versus Kramer is all over this film um, in in many respects. I mean, first, I'll talk more about it later, but... But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know that we always have to agree, but that's that yeah, was yeah. just one of the things that that made me think about is like, I feel like this is a modern story type, you know, that it's it's pretty, it's not as big as comedy or tragedy. Yeah. Um, but like, if you take it down a level of sort of specificity, I mean, maybe one of the seven stories is taking on the mantle, you know, sort of, sort of Prince Hal, you know, Henry the Fourth, yeah. you know. Well, it's, yeah, the one, the one that I think fits what you're describing is rebirth. Mm, mm. So the the seven the seven stories that we've got from the Rob Harvilla podcast and then from the book uh, that he's referencing is, are Overcoming the Monster, mm. Rags to Riches, The Quest, Voyage and Return, Comedy, Tragedy, Rebirth. Uh, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Re- rebirth and, is the closest of all of those. Yeah. Things. An event forces the main character to change their ways and often become a better individual. There you go. Which I think you are right. I think in this grouping, my boy meets girl, girl meets boy ends up in comedy because that's, you know, that's the nature of comedy is, is creation of relationships that then keep going. Right. I think you're right. I think, I think you're probably closer. I think, my issue with this movie does mostly circle around the ending because like, my God, you would really think if you only watched the last 10 to 15 minutes of this movie, that it was only a romantic comedy. Yeah, no, it's like suddenly Nora Ephron took over. Um, although that's a little bit unfair to Nora Ephron because she's so great, but um, it's like all the people who are trying to be Nora Ephron took over at Mm -hmm. the end. Um, you know, that, that, tracking in shot when Martha is all alone in the kitchen Mm -hmm. after Giuseppe has taken her away and she's so you can tell she's so sad and I mean I'm sure we'll talk more about this but in my opinion this movie has one great virtue and that is Martina Gaydick's performance which elevates it from like maybe a okay movie to like a pretty good movie to me it elevates it you know I'll just give it away I think it's only an okay script. I see flaws in the script. I yeah. think the filmmaking is good, but not extraordinary in terms of the, the the cinematography and all of those other things. I think the script needed another draft. I think there were weird plot threads that don't make sense that somebody should have been like, is this, did we really need this, Sandra? But you have this absolutely profound, transcendent, like, it's like Meryl Streep in the early 80s level of like yeah. acting from Martina that, elevates what would probably otherwise be a kind of like mediocre to okay film into actually a pretty good movie because it's really worth watching just for that and also the actress who plays Lena and the two of them together is also stunningly good and and it's hard to do that kind of child acting and that emotional child Mm -hmm. acting to be mourning and depressed and then also the bond that those two characters establish feels very very real uh, and the guy who plays Mario is fine. He does what he's supposed yep. to do. But that character, that character's great, but he's not interesting because he never changes. He's just, yeah. he's just basically like Italianness embodied. Right? He's fun. <laughs> yeah. Mario is he's fun. fun. Mario is and, he, and, he's a, and he's a good dude, right? Like, and, yeah. and, and he's yeah. instinctively good at the kind of 
you know, bonding that that Lena needs in a way that Martha really struggles with. And so so he's yeah. great. Um, but yes, uh, I think I think, you know, there was a little bit of an aside that that um, I was also thinking, though, in that moment you were describing that sort of real and this is, again, one of the greatest movements moments in the film. Giuseppe has taken Lena away. Marta has is sad. She's depressed, but she's gonna get back to work. And like the kitchen fills up, and I was like, it would be so gutsy to end the film right here. That yeah. that would I, be. I wondered if it was gonna end right there, it, and it didn't. <laughs> it would be the. It's the kind of thing that Hollywood like like the screenwriter would end it there, and then Hollywood says, no, yeah. you got to You got to cut. It kind of did feel that way. I mean, I also feel like there was another path to a happy ending the film could have mm-hmm. taken, but it just got there too quickly and easily. Um, yeah. You know, they could have had they could have gone to Italy and had a like argument, you know, with, or something that I think I didn't buy that ending. I was just like, it wouldn't be that easy. Um, yeah. And everything up to this point has been pretty naturalistic and realistic to me, except that. Um, so that yeah. that was frustrating. The way the way of it, you know, we, we've kind of touched on my next qu- my question about enoughness. Yeah. You know, that was I, I was kind of wanted to go in this direction. Sure. But. My and yeah, I 100% agree with your with your with what you're talking about about what is the what is the um actress uh, the actor's last name Martina Gaedic. Martina Gaedic. Yeah, um, I feel like this movie is most of it is a paint by numbers backdrop. Yeah. Um, with like Martina Gaedic and the actress who the actor who plays Lena, like are kind of like. It's like if you took like a Caravaggio or a Vermeer, like yeah. two characters from that, removed the background and then pasted them on top of like a Bob Ross paint by numbers <laughs> yeah. like backdrop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I look, I mean, Sandra Nettlebeck, like she's the director. She is, as far as I can tell, she's sort of like Germany's Cameron Crowe. You know, mm. a kind of... Does a lot of writing, does a lot of filmmaking. Yeah, and also, I mean, not not in the sense that she was a music journalist, but also sort of like her films kind of document her generation, you know, mm. in a same way that maybe Fast Times and Singles did, you know, where often there's sort of sociological observation. Her first film that, that did well feels a lot like singles or it's one of those films where there's a bunch of friends and they all know each other and they hang out but they all have their own journeys which were very popular in the 90s and and so i mean you know you don't get that kind of performance if you're not a good director and she knew Mm -hmm. enough to get out of the way of her actors and and to build the frame so i mean clearly she's doing a lot right and i have some problems with the script and the screenplay but at the same time you know it's better than any screenplay i could write you know i mean it it it's 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 a pretty it tell you know it it has a structure that makes sense, um, yep. but it is, it, yeah, it is. Um, well, I don't know your question about enoughness, but it it also to me it's like the the story is more complicated than it needs to be, but then also simplifies the ending in a way that doesn't make sense, and those things feel a little bit out of balance to me. Yeah, it it feels threadbare to me. Uh, the I don't I don't buy the transitions. I have no idea how they locate Giuseppe. Yeah, they never explain it. Yeah, there's something about the letter that Martha asks Mario to help translate, and he has some sort of very outsized reaction because I think he says like, 
my God, you know, something in Italian. Like he, I think he, he just he, didn't he, understand the situation that Martha was dealing with fully. I think that's mm-hmm. him realizing, oh, I see what's going on. You're, mm-hmm. you're taking care of this girl and, and your sister died and you're taking care of your niece. And she's, I think that's just him catching up to where we all already uh, okay. are. That was, all right. that's my best. Yeah, un- that makes sense. Because otherwise, I don't, the letter would be pretty straightforward. I don't think there's... I don't know. I don't know what else it would be yeah. other than that. I don't know how we even, I mean, like, we just know Giuseppe's first name. Yeah, you would, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, you just need a scene where Marta goes and pulls the birth certificate from the hospital. You just yeah. need to see her being like, okay, thank you, know, Danka, you know, and opening the birth. It's like a 30 second scene that needs to get slipped yeah. in there that's missing. Because it's not, they would have been able to find, you know, they would have been able to find his name. They have birth certificates. It would have been possible. But yeah, there, and then there's other scenes in there that sort of don't, they seem like they're about to, they seem like they're going to go somewhere, but they, they don't actually end up being particularly meaningful. I see you have a note about the neighbor and it, that's, it, it's this like stranded subplot that yeah. it seems like maybe it's... And then I don't know, maybe if... Maybe Sandra Nettlebeck is sort of like, well, that's life. You have these you have these weird sort of relationships that don't go anywhere sometimes, or you think it's going to be a romantic, but what you really did was find the perfect babysitter, you know? And, which is kind of <laughs> like what, what happens. Um, I know, yeah. It's like, it's, like, it's like there are two drafts of this movie operating at the same point where, like... The downstairs neighbor Sam is perhaps the the romantic interest, yeah. but then like at some point Sandra Nettlebeck's like, "No, I've got it." There'll be this like rambunctious sous chef who comes in, and and then she and just then she forgot, forgot to, 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 to excise yeah. the downside That's, the neighbor. It does it does totally feel like that. Well, so another question along these lines is: Did was there any moment? I, I mean, was there any moment where this film surprised you? No, it was one of those movies where I found myself thinking, oh, I think I know what's going to happen next. And then being so disappointed when I was proved correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the greatest moment, it, it, it follows a formula mm-hmm. and it rarely does it in a way that is astonishing. Even, you know, the very opening scene you're in the restaurant, and maybe it's because we've already seen like three movies like this that you and I are starting to get jaded. But I was like, okay, you, you get somebody chopping celery, you get a panning shot of the gas burners, and it's like somehow all the other movies we've seen, well, not all, but all the other movies we've seen about food have either made you hungry or kind of grossed out. <laughs> like with, the, you know, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. It's not, it's, this, the shots of the kitchen are stunning. They're just not appetizing. Yeah. But the <laughs> other three, the shots yeah. of the cooking are stunning and they make you hungry and they're inspiring. And this just felt like, I was like, I don't think I want to go to this restaurant. You know, yeah. like everything's kind of like modern and a lot of white. And yeah. is it, is it, you can't really, is it French cuisine or German cuisine? It's sort of French. It's sort of, a hybrid it, it i mean i'm sure the you know we're meant to think that the food is really good and i'm mm-hmm. you know and and we that martha is really really good at what she does but there was there was it was almost like you told a film student like okay be sure you get a tr- okay you're gonna go in there we're gonna have to get a one shot of martha and then we're gonna have to get coverage shot of everybody and i want you to get some details i don't know uh, and this person's just like taking notes like studiously and you're like, get a tracking yeah. shot of the gas burners, get somebody chopping celery, you know, get somebody like lighting the creme brulee on fire. You know, um, 
I don't know, uh, get a shot of, uh, you know, uh, let's get a nice little, like, tracking shot going through the dining room, you know, have the camera up high so we kind of see the sweep of it, have somebody taking their coat off, and that person just writes that down and dutifully gets all those things with, like, no particular creativity, nothing surprising, and nothing that, you know, nothing that seems to really be interested in using the space creatively. You know, it's just like, yeah, that's how you make a film about a kitchen. I felt like I was watching a screensaver. <laughs> yeah, be- like beautiful. Yeah, like like that's a really good shot of Glacier National Park, and 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 there is a Columbine, like in the dawn, and, and like utterly <laughs> devoid of emotion. Right, it is just yeah. it is just the thing, and that's you know that like that was my question in the the rundown about like what does the food do. Um, there's this thing that happens. I've been guilty of it too. Um, especially when, um, when I was, you know, learning how to write in college and after college called epic amplification, Mm. where you are like, well, you know, this story I'm coming up with or poem or whatever, it's fine. But if I said it somehow Mm. in like Troy, I mean, for me, it was like realizing that all the towns in upstate New York have like Greek names. And I was like, oh, my God, I can like I can like retell the Odyssey in upstate New York. And then I was like, well, that's a dumb idea. That's been done before. Probably been done. Um, For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I once wrote a poem called On the Road to Damascus, Virginia, along those same lines. You know, or struck totally struck blind on the road to Damascus, Virginia. Because I mean, because some people I mean, this is the thing with with derivative work is that some people get it just right. I mean, like W.B. Yeats, The Second Coming, like um, and W.H. Um, Auden, the, the Shield of Achilles, most of Rilke. Like, you can use uh, the epic, and you can use the big stories from the past, but you have to add something new. Yeah, You have to say something fresh using those big stories. You can't just borrow the bigness. And this movie coming out in 2001, sort of at the beginning of like, like the Food Network revolution, um, you know, this is like right in that moment when um, Kitchen Confidential comes out. Right. When was Big Night? That's Big Night, I think, is 96 or 97. It's a few years earlier than this. But we're in this sort of heyday of like America and the world really sort of like getting obsessed with food. And I feel like this is an opportunistic, well-made movie that uses food to amplify what is essentially like like just sort of an okay character study bolted onto a rom-com. Yeah. I mean, when, I, when you say okay character study bolted to a rom-com, I agree that's what the script is. I do think we get this magnificent performance from two of the oh, yeah. actors that actually elevates it into good. Like, I think this is yeah. good. I don't think it's great. And I think we've been spoiled because in this series, I feel like we've seen three great films. You know, yeah. it, like, we just watched Tampopo and Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. And so, like, hard acts to follow. Um, Seriously. But yeah. I, I think that's right. And I, I, I think that that's a good observation. You know, you do have these moments of Martha getting angry at the customers for their, you know. But it's like, 
I liked that movie the first time when it was called Big Night, you know, to be yeah. to do David Spade's Hollywood moment uh, or Hollywood minute. Um, that's been done. Even, you know, I, I thought at one point there was some reference to like quails uh, and truffles. And I was like, is that just like a little reference to Babette's Feast, too? Um, like, is that just like a, which would be fine with me? I, I don't mind a little like, you know, a little appreciative uh, tip of the hat. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think what the I think Sandra Nettlebook. Nettlebrook doesn't quite know what the food is doing. I think she knows yeah. one thing, maybe two things and that are good. And but then that's not enough if you're going to go big with food. I think what she knows there's definitely an idea about Martha's relationship to food to being one of control and also being a kind of escape where she can remain emotionally stunted. And that's why we get the first mm-hmm. scene with the therapist where all she does is talk about food. And um, and then she says, yeah, I have no idea why I'm going here. I'm, I'm completely sane. But clearly she has she's emotionally distant from herself in some interesting way. Mm-hmm. And then it's also about control. And I think this part is actually very, very nice. You know, the contrast between her cooking style and Mario's style when her sister dies, her kitchen is very orderly. Uh, her, the, both her home kitchen, but also her professional kitchen are very orderly. She's not a mean cook, I don't think. She doesn't order people around. People know their jobs, but it's very orderly. Mm-hmm. Um, place for everything. Everything is in its place. And when she comes home after learning that her sister dies, what is the first thing she does? She starts straightening up her, her jars of pasta. Um, and then what's the first thing she does when she takes Lena home? And actually, the first thing she says is like she 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 has a good impulse, which is I need to do something for this child. This child needs me. I need to show her love. And the only thing she can think to do that with is to cook a lovely meal, perfectly lovely. It looks like lamb and some lovely potatoes. But Lena's not hungry because she's sad and depressed. And Martha, that's it. Like Martha's like, that's the only that's all I know. That's my only trick. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. uh, what do I do now? And and so I do think that is a nice gesture on the part of the screenwriter, but I also don't think it's enough. And I think mm-hmm. like we're going to watch Big Night, but you totally get this with Tampopo. You totally get it. We don't understand why Martha has that relationship to the food. Like mm-hmm. you understand why Goro and Gun and Tampopo are on the quest for ramen you understand why chu in that movie shows his love through food you can see his just joy when he's in the kitchen cooking by himself Mm -hmm. and his sense of command and also there's just something about the way all that stuff is filmed that's just stunning as opposed to screen savory there's just a higher level of artistic craft in the visuals there it's more creative it's it's sort of it's it's like the director relates to the character's relation. And Babette's Feast also has that. Like you can taste those quails in the sarcophagi. You know, you wanna you wanna sample the port. Um and it just doesn't I don't think that the depictions of Martha in the kitchen she talks about food. We get that she's good at it. We see her being good at it, but I don't think we understand why she's good at it. And I don't think yeah. we understand her relationship to it and even when they flirt it's just it's kind of like yeah it's not even like uh you know uh, mario's kind of feeding her different sauces and she's telling what the ingredients are which is you know it's a nice idea but it's like yeah mm-hmm. it's not that i think i could have thought of that you know you know it's like it's, yep. it's yeah, not totally it's it's sort of 
you know, screenwriting 101. Like, what's a way they could flirt with food? I don't know. Maybe he could put different foods on a spoon and she could show off her tasting ability. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, all the other food films we've watched so far, the directors have a really clear idea about the world that they want to make. Yeah. And even though, like, we, we talked about The Cook, The Thief, The Wife, and His Lover, that it, it is, like, explicitly, like, theater flats. Right. And, like, explicitly fake. And yet the world feels wholly realized yes. in, a, in yes. a really terrifying and very concrete way. This looks realistic and concrete and feels like theater flats. Yeah, that's sort of the yeah. that that that's it, that I'm sort of rephrasing what you're you're going uh, with. And again, yeah, like the you know the the acting is very 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 good. Um, and you know that's that that's the the savior of this film. It is, but it's it's like um, it's like listening to a good studio mus- musician. Hmm. In- I mean, interesting. You know? I mean, I think it's like. Okay, well, so this this is one moment that's very interesting, and it, it, it's like if I'm going to be defensive of Sandra uh, Nettle, Nettlebrook, Nettlebrook for a second. Nettlebeck. Those Germans and their names. Um, okay, so there is this moment where Martha picks up Lena after, from the police station after she's run away, and Lena feels bad, and she's in trouble, and they had a fight the night before. They quarreled, and... Martha's driving in the car, they're not speaking, and Martha just pulls over, gets out, stands there for a moment, takes several deep breaths, comes back into the car, goes into the back seat, and then she doesn't scold. It's a little bit of a scold, but her emotional response is more, I was so worried about you, as opposed to you've been very bad. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, they both kind of melt. Yeah. I, I think that's the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. If you think about how you write that in the screenplay, there's there's nothing you can really give the actors. Yeah. To you just have I I don't you know you have to hope that the context up to that moment has been described well enough that the actors then have enough to do the work of understanding yeah. how to play that scene. And I don't I don't know, I've never directed actors, but it's not in the words. It's all in the body language. It's almost silent. And to my mind, they they play it perfectly. And that was the moment where I felt the most emotionally invested in the film. That's when the moment I felt the most in awe. And again, like Sandra Nettlebeck can't it, like bad directors don't get those moments, you know. Totally. <laughs> so so yeah, she's I don't think doing she's a- Something right, yeah, you know? Yeah, I don't think she's a bad... I mean, you know, Eric Clapton was a studio musician. Right, right. You yeah, know, like yeah. so so many yeah. of the musicians that we know and love from the 70s and 80s and 90s had like great careers as studio musicians and and they did their work. They hit their mark. They hit the chords. Right, they right. played the solo, um, probably for some commercial jingles. And yeah, I think that Nettlebeck is probably a perfectly perfectly uh, competent, good director, certainly better than anything I could achieve and in directing and or writing and getting performances out of it's, it's in the context of the other stuff we're considering and the fact that we've got big night coming up. I don't, I don't dislike this movie, but I don't, I don't need to see it again. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I think it's, and I think maybe that's the lesson here is that I don't think, I think her ideas are a little bit confused. And I think mm. her strongest idea, that the thing that she knows and that she's able to communicate to her actors to get the performance is that Martha is kind of stunted and kind of broken and she's not doing a very good job, you know, being this surrogate or fill-in mother but the, the, they do fall in, you know, motherly, daughterly love with one another. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that we need to be convinced of. And even though the script is kind of flawed, it works just because they play it. Mm-hmm. They play it well. And, and, and so it's like it's got a good idea at the heart of it. And then, yeah, the, some of the, uh, those, these other aspects are just, there's, it's like there's, there's a little too much music. I mean, you know, when we're talking about, like, there's different ways you could animate the food part like you could make it Mm -hmm. you could bring us more into the preparation of the meal like we never see any one dish get prepared we're seeing this kind of like we're seeing a busy kitchen and we see the outcomes and we're seeing like somebody's working on this so you could be brought into that in some way or you could be brought into the community of the kitchen they seem like interesting people like you know the the cooks and the servers they have family meal together they're all like beautiful you know yeah and and you get a little <laughs> bit of it like the pregnant you know uh, uh line cook and like you get a sense that there is a community and like you could maybe if you had just like two more scenes in that kitchen where somebody other than mario somehow helped Martha or there you, it could be about that right like it could be about the community of the kitchen but it doesn't quite do it it eludes yeah and it just it, it yeah doesn't and I, quite I never get there. there's this moment towards the end where Mario says to Martha like Lena loves you Martha and I was like really <laughs> like and I, hmm. I you know like I, I agree with you that there needs the movie is missing something yeah and like yes there's that scene in the car but it does but we don't we don't ever we don't see some of Lena's reservations be unpacked and then answered. Yeah. And in the same way that one of my one of my big issues with it is like, you know, is this happily ever after? Like yeah. I don't really know how much Martha has actually changed. Yeah. No, I think and, I think that's right. And I and I, and and I do think that Lena loves Martha, but I think she always did. Like we see that flashback sequence where, you know, when Martha was just the aunt and they're sort of like mm. playing together at the beach. And, and so it's like they always had a bond and maybe it's grown a little bit. Um, but there's, you know, the movie where they fall asleep, you know, the part where the, the scene where they fall asleep and then they're sort of like yeah. cuddling together. And then there's there's a moment where uh, the actress, well, Lena, when when Martha's hugging her in the car and Lena just reaches out and strokes her chin. And I was like, mm-hmm. good God. Like, it felt so well. I, I just imagining like an, a 10 year old girl with kind of like who could play that scene effectively. And I bought it yeah. um, that there was this sort of bond between them. And, and in that moment, um, just, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I looked up the, the child actor and she hasn't done all that much, but I thought that was hmm. actually, a, I mean, that's hard to play what she yeah. is being asked to play. You know, she's, she's very quiet. She's internal. She's depressed. She's sad, but then she also, she's melting, you know, she's warming to March. All of those things are hard to play. There's that one moment where they're in the kitchen and she's sort of catatonic and she just kind of like, bulldozes her way between Martha and the other cook who are laying things out, you know, which yeah, I love that. It was great. Yeah. 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 
I want I wanted more of that. Yeah. Like I feel like Me. like she could have she could have animated the movie in a way that she didn't. Um I'm trying to think of other movies where this really works. Um, you know, at this point, I mean the professional really hasn't aged well, but Natalie Portman makes that movie work. Yeah. And there's a bunch of movies where the kid does most of the most of the work uh, in terms of setting being the emotional center. I mean, Kramer versus Kramer is a good example when the kid feels distinct and like they have a personality. And part of what happens is the reluctant caregiver starts recognizing that and starts valuing it and then often gets to the point of valuing it sort of fiercely, you know, that that can be really powerful. And it's very common that that happens and then they get taken away, too. I think that happened in Punky Brewster, if I recall. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a moment where Punky was, like, going to be adopted, you know, away from Henry, her foster dad. But but, uh, I think, think like, at the last minute, she's like, no, I want to stay with Henry or something like that. Yeah, totally. Like those those new people are gonna make me uh, give up on my side ponytail. Yeah, even you know, even though there was something attractive about them too, like maybe they had a lot of money or something. I don't remember. Mm, course, we're gonna go to very, we're, yeah. gonna, we're gonna go to Europe. <laughs> you know, we're <laughs> we're gonna move to Bel Air. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, shall we go to trivia? Yeah, let's go to trivia. Um, I don't know if we have a host anymore. Did I go first last I think, time? I think or you did last, last time, time, so I think okay. I can go first this time. Um, Great. Okay, so I watched uh, or I listened to an interview with uh, Martina Gaedek. Um Oh, cool! She, you know, that th- must have been awesome. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, and I, I've seen her in other movies. She was in um, The Good Shepherd, and I remember her in that. She was in this movie called The Lives of Others, which was about East German surveillance. Holy crap, is she the love interest yeah, in yeah, The Lives of Others? Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time. She's a little older, and, and, and she you yeah. can tell that she's kind of starting to age a little bit. I mean, she's 40 mm-hmm. in this film, but you wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. know that. Like, um, but um, I thought she looked familiar. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, this yeah. was kind of her international breakout. She had been pretty well mm-hmm. known in Germany, but she also had, you know, she didn't act in movies until she was in her late 20s. She'd done theater and then, you know, got into a few films and then this was the this one won a bunch of European awards and then she started getting mm-hmm. international attention. But she it's interesting. She had a similar career arc to um Catherine Keener in that like oh, most right of yeah. us sort of discovered her at forty, you know? Yeah. And then um and then And she, then everyone was like, She's great. Yeah. Yeah, and then continued to be great, you know, and she's, you know, um, so so she was talking about acting uh, on the show. And this this interview was done uh, some somewhere in the range of like eight to 12 years ago, about 10 years ago, we'll say. Um, But it could be give or take three years on either side of that. So she was speaking in an interview and the interviewer asked her whether she recommended acting as a career to young people. And she basically said, you know, it's really hard. Um, you know, you, I, I, you know, you're going to, it's hard work and you're going to need years of like four, you know, four years of like hard training. Like she talked about her experience going to the school in Berlin. And then she said, but you know, unless you're a natural talent like blank. And then she named a, at the time, very young American actress. Um, so again, this was, I'm going to say sometime between 2010 and 2020, so okay. was the American actress who she named as a natural talent A, Emma Stone, B, Jennifer Lawrence, or C, Greta Gerwig? Ooh. I think Greta Gerwig would be too 
wouldn't I, I think I think the time framing is off for Greta Gerwig. Um, this is going to be one of those classic ones where I talk myself out of the correct answer. <laughs> um, but that seems because uh, Greta Gerwig is a is like a full grown woman at this point. So. All right, I'm 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 gonna keep going with my gut. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play the odds. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna eliminate C. Uh, so we've got Emma Stone and Jennifer Lawrence on the other the other two choices. Jennifer Lawrence. You got it. Yeah. And it, it surprised <laughs> me when I heard it, but. I now that I think about it, it totally makes sense because um, Martina Gedek really transforms herself for every role, and I think mm-hmm. one of the strengths of this performance is she's not just a woman emotionally stunted, you know, becoming more responsible. She's Martha. Like Martha has a very distinct yeah. personality, and I, I often will see Jennifer Lawrence in a movie and not realize it's her. Um, yeah. And, you know, you th- I tend to think of Emma Stone as, like, the more, like, critically acclaimed brilliant actress of that generation. Um, but um, but I, I could totally see it. And, of course, uh, Martina uh, is, er, Gaedic is often uh, compared with uh, sort of Meryl Streep and the young Meryl yeah. Streep. And I totally see that. The, particularly I really the, see that. the internality in particular and the vulnerability um, and the distinctiveness of the characters. Too. Yeah, she manages to do that thing where you can see you can see the internality without her putting the internality on. Yeah. Which is just very difficult. Um takes a lot of faith. <laughs> she has this quote. I mean, she she says that she spends a lot of time preparing. She learns the lines until she, they're dead cold. She's no longer yep. thinking or remembering. She spends a lot of time preparing for the character, thinking about the emotional life of the character. And then when the camera's on, she's not thinking about what she's doing at all. And yep. she just trusts that it'll come. That's amazing. I, I you know. And you can see that, God. I think. I think you can yeah. see that. That level, like when she answers the phone, when she hangs up the phone, when she's gotten the call from her, that her sister, her hand is shaking, you know, and it's like, I don't think it would work if you thought to yourself, I mean, maybe if you're only doing the shot of your hand, you could just shake your hand, you know, but like, I I think for that kind of total body performance, you just, she just has to be feeling what Martha is feeling right now then for, yeah, it's, it's really akin to those like stories of Meryl Streep, like, like immersing herself in like, you know, tubs of ice water, mm. you know, ahead of shots to like really get the like inner chill correct huh. and, and things like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Meryl Streep is horrible to herself. Oh, I didn't know that. But I mean, and it also, you know, it also reminds me of kind of that whole generation, you know, the, to emerge from the the sort of, you know, method school like that, you know, yeah. all the people who were taking lessons from Sandy Meisner and and yeah. uh, the other, you know, that that pack, you know, like De Niro, well, Pacino. We're seeing it come back around in that, like, people really understand that the state of your body will be the state of your everything. Yeah. Um, like, we, you know, like, uh, American culture veers back and forth between, like, thinking versus feeling. And it does not have to be a dichotomy. Right, right. <laughs> and it shouldn't be a dichotomy. Yeah. Um, but that's the way that we, uh, that's the way that we do things. Um, so, 
Sandra Nettlebeck cast herself in Mostly Martha hmm. as which secondary character? Was it A, Leah, the pregnant line cook? Was it B, Christian, Lena's mother, glimpsed in that home video? Or C, Frida, the owner of the restaurant Lido? I, I think just from an age thing, I'm going to guess Frida, the owner of the restaurant. It is B, ah. Christian, uh, Lena's mother, glimpsed in the home video. Ah, ah interesting. Yeah. Um, so th- is that actually her? Or that is actually Sandra Nettle. Oh, it's interesting because I, I know that that was not... I know what she looks like. Ah, I boned that. Because I, I, <laughs> I thought that you were implying that she cast herself and then took herself out. Um, no, 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 no. She was in... Yeah, she... Uh, sorry. Uh, no, that's all right. No, you said it correctly. And, I just, I just appeared it. in it. Yeah. I believe um, the person who plays the pregnant line cook reprises that role in No Reservations too. <laughs> no. Or appears in it. Maybe she's in a different role because oh, she's a little God. bit older. Maybe she's yeah. like the restaurant owner at that point. Like, like fully like bringing full circle my paint by numbers yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> claim to this movie to fruition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, we just get the just same get the actors. One. Same one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heck, let's use the same kitchen set. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that that home video was actually one of my favorite moments of mm-hmm. the movie because it felt it felt so real, like it just felt honest. What did you think about the moment where we're hearing the voiceover of her talking about how you kill lobsters? Mm. I didn't. I hadn't thought about it since you brought it back up, and. Um, I think that's the only moment of voiceover. I think so too. In the film. Yeah. So what the fuck is it doing there? I I I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, one explanation I thought maybe that was also that was supposed to be therapy and we were just hearing because how many therapy scenes are there like four throughout the four. film? All confusing. All confusing. I I think the therapy maybe is supposed to be funny. And like me, we're just German, so we don't get, I think they're being kind of snarky with one another and the snark doesn't quite maybe come mm-hmm. across that they have a kind of contentious banter, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely the first therapy scene I thought was useful because it, it, it established Martha's emotional stuntedness. The fact that all she does is sit in the therapist's office and talk about food, I mean, it's a good opening, right? Like, and, and yeah. you, get, you get the idea of what the problem is. And even the moment where he asks her, well, why are you here? And she says, I have no idea. And you're like, okay, that tells me something about you. You know, you you know, um, I thought that was nice, but then later it doesn't really go anywhere. It seems like a weird framing device, but I did Mm -hmm. actually think like if that was meant to be the therapy, that was good because it, it fits the pattern. All she can talk about in therapy is food. But in this case, she's talking Mm -hmm. about like killing lobsters and deaths and death and how lobsters eat themselves from the inside, which is an analog for her emotional state right state totally. right then. So I was yeah. kinda like, oh, that would be cool if every time you're in therapy you're talking about food, but it actually reflects your emotional state instead. Yeah. Except for that pattern did not continue. Nor right, totally. is it particularly yeah. clear that she was in therapy at that moment. Um so yeah. yeah. Again a little muddled. I thought there was too much music too, just like yeah. it was nice, but it just a little too much of it. Um just a little over deployed. 
Um, it's it's an it's an uneven yeah. it's an uneven some very nice moments for sure. Um, yeah, but uh, I agree. Uneven. Did it meet your expectations? No, I was hoping for more. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Yeah. And I think you know, yeah, I thought it was gonna. I I thought it was supposed to be great. I think it was merely good. Um, and it's only. And I think it's it 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 got saved from mediocre into good by the strength of the performances. The performances lift it from mediocre into something. Because there are some stunning moments on camera that I saw there. Well, listeners, coming up next, we are so looking forward to watching with you, we hope, um, uh, Stanley Tucci and, oh God, who's the other director? Campbell Scott? Campbell Scott's 1996 Masterpiece. Big Night, uh, which is the next thing that we are going to listen to and consider. Um, I'm so looking uh, forward to it. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, It is always such a joy to uh, have you guys here along with us. Upper Middle Brow is a small point production. Chris Bagg and Jesse Dukes are the charming Italian interlopers. Music by Ben Pajak and Jesse Dukes. Design and website by me, Chris Bagg. You can learn more about us at uppermiddlebrow.com. And we are going to keep nagging you about the listener survey until we get enough entries. Uh, We did get one more. Thanks, Leah. Um, But please fill out our listener survey or we're just going to keep talking about it. which is one reason to do it. The other reason to do it is we'll enter you in a drawing to win a storied Bluetooth speaker. Uh, perfect for listening to Upper Middle Brow or your other favorite podcasts. You can go to uppermiddlebrow.com for the link to the listener survey. And as a reminder, Jesse and I are both writers and editors and can help you with your writing, podcasting, or editing project. You can see some of our portfolios and learn more at our respective websites, chrisbag.com and jessedukes.com. Check it out and get in touch if you want to talk about how we can help you with your project, big or small. Night, everybody. Clean your mees. Wipe down your mees on plows. I was like, clean your mees. I don't really, I don't understand that sentence. <laughs> What's that mean? Are you referring to mees, Vander? What is is the... mees some strange anatomical code word? Clean your mees. Is this a is this a state of Maine abbreviation? What is the state of Maine? Are, are your mees are your mees particularly? <laughs> we once asked one of the we once asked one of the waiters to spell mees and plus, uh. Uh, and we were like, hey hey, spell mees and plus for us. Mm. Like just write it on the whiteboard over there in the corner. And he totally spelled it like a German, <laughs> like M-I-Z-E-N-P-L-A-U-S. <laughs> And we were like, you know...